So if we continue on, we kind of spoke on this briefly at the um, nursing home last week, but we also we kind of skipped over some big sections. So definitely want to go back and look at that, starting in verse 22. If you remember that where we had stopped previously, uh, the prophecy there had been um, used in conjunction with Jesus that came from Isaiah in verse 17 of Matthew 12, where it says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a, de- with a devil, blind and dumb or mute. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and the mute both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom that is divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can a man enter into a strong man's house and spoil his good, except his first except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his goods. He that is not with me is against me, and he that that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto you. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So the main section we want to look at today is starting there in verse 22 and kind of going down there to verse 30. So here we have Jesus doing another one of his miracles, another um, fantastic display of his power. We have marveled over these last 12 chapters as he has done these things. You kind of look at the examples of who he heals, blind men, deaf and mute people, sick people, dead people, You know, all these things that he keeps doing that kind of ups the ante, so to speak, and makes you take another note or marvel a little bit more at the grandeur and the wonder of Jesus and what he can do. you got to just kind of pause, because I think sometimes as we read through these things, we read through these stories, we read through the Gospels in kind of big picture fashion, and we look at them as the kind of the the macro uh, meta-narrative, so to speak, But you do have to kind of marvel for a second at these small little details of healings and things that he does. You have to marvel for a second about the power, the uniqueness, the amazingness, okay, if you can say that, of the fact that he healed this blind and this mute person as he heals people who are 
deaf and blind and people who are lame and sick and people who have died and are now resurrected. I mean, all these little things are not just little things. I think, again, sometimes when we look at these views, we view them with such a 30,000 you know, foot altitude look at them that our main view is on kind of the birth of Jesus and then on the death of Jesus and then on the resurrection of Jesus and everything in between is just kind of filler, okay? That is there. It's good filler. I mean, it's catching. It's interesting. There's a lot of good points in there. But sometimes I think we get so transfixed on kind of the bookends of the gospel that we miss the meat that's in the middle of it. And it's this meat that speaks volumes about the nature and the character and the dynamics of Jesus and what it, and who is who was he was here for, what his heart was. This healing followed just after that prophecy in Isaiah, which was just a section of that Isaiah forty-two prophecy. But I mean, that Isaiah forty-two prophecy was speaking to the character, the meaning, and the purpose of the Messiah. Okay, that he was coming for those who were broken like that bruised reed, or who were smoldering out like that candle. Uh, wick. He was coming for the ones who had already been abused, beat down, destroyed, that had no hope, had no ability, had no kind of fervor in themselves. You think of a smoking candle as not one that's burning brightly. So he's the opposite of the one who seems to have it all together. Okay, So that was his purpose. And not only that, but they keep throwing these, this word Gentile into that prophecy, which again was a very contentious thing. Okay? Very contentious for these Jews. They didn't want to hear all that. Again, we talked about this. They were looking for that beautiful kingdom where God was going to come back and establish the Jewish people. And if the Gentiles got to tag along with that, that's great. But first and foremost, we got to get this Jewish issue fixed. And so for you to come here and you need to be talking about how you're here for the Gentiles and it's in the Gentiles you're going to trust and all these things. I mean, that's really, you're missing the mark here, man. We, where's our stake in this claim? So right after that, then, who's the next person that comes on scene? Well, this man who's blind and mute and Christ heals him. And it's kind of like a beautiful capstone of what Christ had just said. The prophecy that he said he was fulfilling is sitting here being fulfilled right in front of you. And so it was, again, another testimony to just the beautiful nature of Christ and what he was here here doing. And, he, and, and again, also, all of these big massive healing adventures that we see him go on that we look at and say, man, those things are miraculous and marvelous and completely you know, beyond our comprehension. How can you do that? How can you make a man who's lame jump up and walk, you know, reversing not only his lameness or his inability to walk, but also the atrophy and all the other side effects from that? How do you reverse a man's withered arm to where it doesn't just come back and he can move it, but it's actually a fully functioning human adult arm, okay? We can do like rotator cuff surgery on patients and adults' arms will go from being, I can lift my arm to, I can't lift my arm. Why can't I lift my arm? Well, everything's fixed. Why can't I lift my arm? Well, it's because in that space of time for everything to heal, your adult arm has just gone down to a baby arm. You're trying to lift an adult arm with a baby arm, okay? You've lost all that muscle strength. That's why you can't lift it up anymore, okay? Work at it for, you know, like 6 to 12 years or whatever, uh, as people think it is, and you'll, get, you'll finally get there, okay? It's the most miserable experience anybody ever has to go through. Hear it day in and day out. But the biggest issue that we stress to people is you're fixed. Your rotator cuff, man, it's, it's sewn together, it's healed, it's good. Well, then why am I not better? Well, you are in one sense. 
But the reason you can't lift your arm is because you've got about three to six months of working out to do. Just working out. That's it. Nothing else magical. You're going to sit there and raise this arm up about 15 times every day. And then you're going to do it 30 times. Then you're going to do it 45 times. Then you're going to add a one-pound weight. You're going to go back down and do it 15 times. Then you're going to do it 30 times. And then multiply that until you get up to a five-pound weight over a six-month period. And finally, you'll be able to reach up and comb your own hair. People say, yes, sign me up for that. Yeah, that's what everybody does. But you say, well, why did that happen? Well, because the arm was left unattended, unused, muscles shrank and weakened. You can't use it. So the miracle of being able to restore a man whose arm is withered and it go back to being a normal, functioning, human, adult arm is a miracle. Okay? And we say, whoa, that's so amazing. Look how crazy that is. Look what God can do. Look at the power that he has. But also stop and question, why did he do that? What was the purpose? Now, there is just a very base level purpose. And that is just God is a really great and awesome God. Okay, God is a really loving and compassionate God. And God had mercy and compassion on droves of people while he was here. Just because that's who he is. It's his nature. As we saw back in Deuteronomy and other places, when he talks about the strangers and the widows, he says, I love them, I have compassion on them, take care of them, provide for them, do things for them, because that's just, that's me. That's me. I have that in me, and I desire to see that done. Okay? So there's just a base level. That's just who God is. But I think also, above and beyond that, all of these are testimonies to the power of God to fix problems. The power of God to fix problems. And what I mean by that is that if you look at these things and we look at these kind of physical ailments that we look as being either uncurable, irreversible, okay, or just so maybe in modern medical terms, yeah, we could get you back to a functioning arm, but you'll never function like a normal adult, okay? You'll never, yes, I can fix that. You know, we talk about this all the time at work. We can fix that. You know, we've gotten to this point where we can fix all these things. We can, quote, unquote, we can fix them. And if you snapped an x-ray of it, it would look beautiful. And they say, well, why can't I walk? Well, we can't fix that. Sorry. The bone's fixed. Your muscle's gone. Your bone's fixed. The nerve's dead. We can't repair it. The bone is fixed. We got a beautiful fix going on. All right? It looks good. It is fixed in all anatomical you know, terms as far as that goes. Yeah, but I still hurt every day or I still walk with a limp or I can't climb stairs anymore or I can't climb under my car or I can't do all these other things that I loved doing. And Yeah, I know. There are certain things we can't fix. Okay? You know, the cat's out of the bag. There are certain limitations you will always have. There are certain problems that are beyond our scope to be able to fix. Okay? Now, if you translate those things, though, like what God is showing us here, he's showing us, number one, he is supreme over all creation. He has power and dominion over all creation. There is nothing in this created world, which, by the way, he created, that he can't recreate. Okay? There's no ailment or no kind of dysfunction to this world that is his that he can't look at and go, hey, I don't want you doing that anymore. You're done, okay? You're withered. This is, a, this is kind of a, uh, an aberration of my creation. Well, guess what? I can fix that. Watch. Okay, there you go. It's done. 
You want to see the Red Sea parted? You want to see manna from heaven? I can do anything in this created world. It's all within my power because it's mine. I'm, I'm king over it. I can do whatever I want. Okay? He has all that power. But beyond that, if we look too with these miracles that he's doing, it should be testifying to us over and over and over and over again that there is no problem that Jesus can't fix. Okay? There is no problem that Jesus can't fix. There is no affliction that Jesus looks at and goes, Whew, that's a tough one. That's a real noggin scratcher. That's a pickle. I can't, I'm, I, we're going to have to see how maybe me and the Trinity can kind of have a confab and we can figure out how to, maybe, but that's looking pretty tough. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle that. And we then translate this beyond the physical, which still affects us. You know, we look at things like cancer and we go, there's just no fix. There are certain things with cancer that we look at and we go, man, we've got all these medical technologies and all these treatments and all these things and we've figured out all this stuff and we've got genome splicing and stem cells and all these things and we're getting into some crazy levels of science and we feel like we've got all these things figured out and we feel like we find the next fix that's just going to take care of everything. And then we realize there are certain things we just can't fix. Or, you know, you can see the thing now that's got everybody freaked out about antibiotics, you know. Well, we use antibiotics, and now there's these bugs out there that they're like, you know, writing papers about going, well, there's some bacteria we just can't kill. They're like, it's gotten to the point now where there's things that certain bugs that, back, that are antibiotics. There is not an antibiotic known to man that has ever been created or will be created at this point that will kill that bug. It's like, so what happens when you get it? Well, that is a good question, isn't it? There's certain things that we look at that we cannot fix. Certain physical things that we still struggle with. And then you could look at these stories of, as Jesus is doing this and go, but look, Jesus can do this, okay? Jesus has the power over the physical. Jesus has the ability to look at whatever the situation is, whatever the hopeless path we're on, whatever the undefeatable thing we're looking at physically and go, but I know the man that can do it. I know the man who does have that power and have an assurance in that. You know, that's why the Bible will tell us over and over again, don't, you know, and, and Christ told us when we're praying, you don't ask wavering. You ask in faith. You say, well, how do I ask in faith? How do I know this is sure? Because I've read the gospel. Because I've looked and seen that, yes, a physical problem that we are facing, that there's not one that I look at and go, is Jesus able to do this? When the leper turned back to Jesus, okay, the ten lepers, when the leper turned back to Jesus and said, Lord, if you will heal me, not can you, said, I know you can. I know you're able to do this. Say, well, why? Was he catechized? Did he have the gospel? Did he read all these things? He probably knew the stories. He'd seen Jesus do it other times. But beyond that, it was a testimony of the faith in him. Him saying, by faith I know you can do this. It is not outside of your power. It's not outside of your bounds. It's not impossible to you. It's rather a question of will. Okay? Will you do it? Even when Christ was praying in the garden... God, take this cup from me. Do you think that Christ was going, it's kind of iffy if God is able to do that. I don't know if he's got the power, but I'm going to give it a shot. 50-50 chance. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. No, Christ knew he could. Had all the power. Had all the ability. 
And then it fell back on the question of, but it's will you? Will you do this? Let alone not my will, but your will be done. So in these cases of the physical, we can look at it, and every one of these little stories should be little nuggets of consolation or faith or something to strengthen us up and go, okay, I know that man. I know Jesus and I know his power. So even though the cancer looks like it is bad, I know he has the power. Even though the sickness looks like it's bad, I know he has the power. Whatever the physical is, I know he has the power. There's nothing that's outside of his bounds. But we also translate that over into the spiritual. Because then the next story that he talks about is both a physical story, but it is from a spiritual manifestation. The next story is the man who was blind and mute. And why was he blind and mute? This is not the same kind of situation as the man who had been born blind from birth. Obviously, if you're born blind, that's the only way you can be is from birth. Um, But the man that was born blind, okay? And when he talked to that man, they asked him, Lord, what sin did this man do or his parents that he was born blind? And again, we always joke that question. It's like, well, really, what sin could he have done to be born blind? Obviously, none, unless he's really, you know, tearing up that womb with some kind of mischievousness, okay? Uh, You know, so how was he born blind? You know, that was their question. And Christ made the point, neither his parents or him, but that the glory of God might be seen in this moment. So, but with that man, you don't see the... You don't see the demonic possession as being the source of his problem, okay? It's a different case. Some of these other cases where you see people who were lame, sometimes it will say that, the, that in some cases the devil was afflicting this person. In other cases, it just says they were that way, all right? So maybe there was just a physical in one and a spiritual physical in the other. Who knows? Here we get a glimpse into kind of a spiritual problem that's causing a physical manifestation, Okay? And we've talked about this before because we've talked about it with our own kind of views on mental health and problems that affect us today. And we are so far on the physical side because we're so mathematical and we're so scientific and we've got such a handle on those things. We completely negate the spiritual and we just chalk it up to a physical a physical issue. And we try to kind of work through that. And, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do. It's hard to ride that fence. It's hard to know and to express that, yes, this may be a purely physical, but there's also the possibility that there's a big spiritual component to this. But in this story, this man was possessed of a devil and he was blind and mute. Now we talk about this and it's a, again, a very you can obviously over-spiritualize and you can read into things that may not be there. But I think it's very significant that this man was both blind and mute. Okay, He could not see a way out of this. He could not call for a way out of this. He had no ability of his own to see his way out of it. And he had no ability to call on others to help him out of this. He was blind and he was mute. Okay, Again, one of the... Well, it's not really the trifecta. Is it the bifecta? Is that a word too? You know, you have a tri. Can you have a bifecta? I guess you can. The bifecta of problems here. The bifecta of of isolation, of inability. Okay. You know, you see other cases like other blind beggars who were sitting there, and when they when uh, Christ would pass by, they would cry out and say, "Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, heal us. Son of David." And they were crying out to Christ. 
and he came and he delivered them. Other places you have people who might have been mute, but maybe they can see and they can walk and be carried and go around. You know, we have, there's, there's different cases with all this, okay? But here you do get the picture of a total lack of ability, a total isolation. When you cannot communicate your needs and you cannot see to avoid danger, you're really in a bad spot. And this isn't a bad time to be this way, okay? At least today, we got all these modern conveniences. Your iPhone can talk to you. You know, you got Braille. We've got all these things. We've got seeing eye dogs. There's all these other modern things and things that we have put in place to help those who have handicaps and disabilities. Even today, I don't think anybody who would be blind and mute would say, I'm good where I'm at, you know? I'm okay. I know I could be healed, but I'm okay where I'm at. I'm okay being blind. I'm okay being mute. I like it the way I am. Don't change my word. I don't, I'm pretty sure if they had the option, they would like to be not that way, okay? But what you see here is a bad situation for these people. You see over and over again, these lame people, these blind people, these deaf and mute people, they were beggars. Why? Well, because they can't do anything else. They can't hold down a job, can't provide for themselves. There is no social security or welfare in this situation. You are relying on others to help you out. It's not even as good of a situation as maybe God had in his kingdom in the Old Testament where you had the poor who could go glean off the edges of the field. Well, this guy's not gleaning anything. How can he glean? How is he going to go glean the edge of the field? So there's just, there's a, this guy is in a bad situation. So here, though, Jesus walks up to him and with very big mercy in his heads walks up and says, you're healed. Get out of him. You're done. He addresses the spiritual issue with an instantaneous healing that reverses and affects the physical. Now we have clear delineation or at least clear kind of moving of Christ in both fields. If you ever had doubt before, if you ever wondered before, can, okay, I know Christ can handle the physical. Can he also handle the spiritual? Yes and amen. Here we go. We're done. Now, both sides have been affected here. Both sides have been completely and comprehensively taken care of. Both sides, Jesus is looking at with power and authority over both the demons and the spiritual bondage that we are in to be able to speak to them and say, no more, you're done. You're out. Let him go. Walk away. Do not return. He can walk up to the withered man with the withered hand just a few verses up and say, no more. Your hand's cured. Go on. Have fun. Use that arm to the glory of God. Go and work and live a full life in that way. Both the physical and the spiritual, Christ has all authority. There is no demon. There is no work of the devil. There is no power or principality or anything that can work against Christ. There is nothing that he does not have ultimate authority and power and ability to undo. He is God Almighty. He is in no way diminished even as he is down here in human flesh. And we kind of talked about this with the views of transcendence and eminence and things that we talked about on Wednesday night, that when Christ has entered into this beautiful, perfect expression of God's eminence with us, he's still, he's still all God. He still has all authority. In other cases, when he's casting out demons, the demons are seeing him from an all, far off. They're jumping down at his feet. They're saying, Lord, are you here to t- persecute us before our time? You know, I mean, they, none of them questioned. None of them said, oh, God, you're only 75% today. God, you're a little bit diminished. 
hey, maybe I could take advantage of that. Maybe there's some leeway for me. No, man, they're seeing him from afar off, and they're getting down their knees going, please, please, do not persecute us before our time. So they had no doubt, no question about his authority. Now, obviously, we see what the Pharisees' response was. We see how they, instead of rejoicing or regarding this as a miracle, instead they're going to flip to the opposite because of their hard heart and their unbelief. They wanted to call him out for something else. They want to try to dissuade others. They want to get others from marveling at him because what did the people say when they saw it? They were amazed. And they said, is not this the son of David? Is not this the Messiah? Is not this the king who was prophesied to come, who was going to sit on the throne of David, who was going to restore the kingdom? Obviously, he's got control over the demons. That would mean he's somebody other than just a man. There had been previous false messiahs. There had been one called Judas that happened around the time right before Christ was born that had come in. He had been killed. Okay, You read about this in Acts when Gamaliel speaks about it, that there had been others like him before. And the note of, or, or their kind of noteworthiness was that they raised up a big crowd and then they died. And then the crowd scattered. Here, when you look at what Christ is doing, everything that he is doing is kind of the opposite of what the others had done. He did not go out trying to draw a crowd. A crowd just naturally followed him. He did not go out trying to overthrow Rome. People have just been looking at him proclaiming the kingdom. He has not boasted, uh, boasted about himself in that way. He has simply done what he was called to do. And here in these cases, all power and all authority is being displayed in what he can do. Now, what's amazing to me about this is when we look at struggles, and probably the takeaway that I would have us here just very quickly before we close, the takeaway that I would have from this, and the takeaway that I think really we all need to grab, and we all, this is the message of the gospel, okay? This is how we see Christ. This is what the picture of, of Christ is. What we need to take away from this is that when you look at these examples of his power, okay, that we're not taking them for granted and we're not just reading over them, but that we are actually investing our lives into them. That we see his power in these both spiritual and physical cases. And hopefully, number one, that would give us a little bit of hope. That would give us a little bit of assurance, a little bit of kind of resting in the fact that we know Christ is more than able. And I know we've heard this before, and we say this, and we claim to believe in this. But when we look at these situations, it should translate, it should jump off the page to us to go, okay, I'm in a situation, I'm in a tough spot, I don't know how to get out of this. But look at the story of Jesus and what he has done. Look at how he has affected these people's lives. Are these people any more worthy, any more deserving, or any different than me? Did Christ only do it then? Did he just do it as a show to get people on board? And once he was resurrected, he said, guys, I'm done with all that. We'll let everything ride out. It's covered by grace. Don't worry about it. And we'll all get to heaven one day. Or does Christ still intervene in our lives? Does Christ still work? Is the new birth all he does? And they're like, oh, well, we stopped there. Got it done. Now you can get into heaven. Don't worry about it anymore. So all of these things have effects. He continues to work in these ways. And spiritual and physical ailments, problems, afflictions, things that bother us, okay, on a day-to-day -day basis can all be filtered back through the healings and the teachings that Christ did in these situations. Then we can look back at it and go, man, I know the man. I know Jesus. I know his power. 
Now, maybe wrestling and dealing with the thy will be done side is another step, another process that is extremely hard to do. And it takes some learning and it takes some practice. But understanding and resting and having confidence in the can, okay? Understanding and having confidence in his ability should not be wavering at all with us. It should not be questioned at all with us. We know he can. That's not a, that's a, without a doubt. So take these things with us and let's go this week and look at situations in our lives and also in other people's lives where we are to shine light, okay? In other people's lives, talking to them, admonishing them, ministering them, ambassadoring them, okay? In this way that we're saying, man, I know the man. I, I'm, I'm in with the man. I know the man that you need. I know the one who is able. I know the one who can. Well, but my problem is an addiction that I've been struggling with since I was 12 years old. Well, great. Guess what? I know a man that that is not a problem with. Well, this is a physical ailment that I just don't see. The doctors have told me the news doesn't look good. Well, that's great. I mean, it's not great in one way, but it's great in the sense that I know the man that can fix it. Now, he's not a magician. He's not a genie in a bottle. It's not that if you rub him and ask three questions, he's going to give you the answer you want every time. But I know he can. So if you feel like you're without hope and that you've run to the end of the race and that you're at the end of your rope and there's nobody else, there's nowhere else to turn, the doctors have left, the psychiatrists have failed, the counseling has not gone anywhere, well, guess what? I've got the one person who has never come up short on these things. So let's have confidence in his ability. May God bless us to do that.